Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Eric, and with me is Kiwi and BP. Hello. Hi. Today we're going to be playing The Adventure Zone, designed by Keith Baker of Gloom, and of a bunch of D&D stuff, and Jennifer Ellis. It is developed by uh, Clint, Travis, and Justin and Griffin McElroy. The artist is Harry Connor. It is published in 2020 by Together Studios. The description is, Reclaimers, the Bureau of Balance has a mission for your team, so gear up and get to the launch bay. Your team leader will give you the details, but you know what you signed up for. Some villain has gotten a hold of a powerful relic, and now the fate of the world is once again in our hands. Get down there, grab the relic, and when you get back, first round at the chug and squeeze is on the house. If you fail, well, there's always next time, we hope. The director. We're about to tell a story, and you're going to be amazing. The mechanics are cooperative game, critical hit and failures, modular board, move through deck, and storytelling. Uh, The box art is the adventure zone. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's a little bit... uh, So there's actually two boxes. Um, The the regular box, it has the the symbol for the Bureau of Balance, which is kind of like the crossed X's. And then in, inside each of those cross X's, they've got stuff that kind of pertains to some of the stories. Uh, so you got the train, uh, the lich from the red cloaks, um, big hordes of you know stuff that you would see in Dungeons and Dragons. But you know when you sit down and think about it, it, it all goes back to different stories within the 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 Bureau of Balance uh, arc from the Adventure Zone. And the Adventure Zone is a podcast for people who don't know that from the McElroy's. And then the other box art is uh, a very beautiful picture of, a, it looks like a jellyfish, but in reality, it's the void fish oh. from the story. Oh. Yeah. See, I haven't listened to every single episode of yeah. The right. Adventure This is where I'm so. interested to see how it will be for a somebody who hasn't listened to the whole uh, right. Adventures yeah. in a podcast. So BP has listened to some. She's listened to a couple episodes here. Right. But not... Yeah, but- you know, yeah. not an avid fan. Uh, so I guess that begs the question. Uh, would I pick it up off a shelf? Yes. I pre-ordered it. <laughs> of course. And we are, we are playing a physical version. And we do have the limited edition box. Um, I, I would. Obviously, I'm an Adventure Zone fan. I'm, but I think beyond that, I'm excited for uh, the storytelling aspect of it. I hope that will be, you know, I like a good storytelling game. So if it kind of lives up to that, um. And I'm always happy. And of course, cooperative game. So kind of, well, to use a Kiwi saying it checks my boxes. So uh, what about you, BP? I mean, I think the same. Um, Obviously, I'm not as big of a Adventure Zone fan. Again, I'm not like, I enjoy it just fine. I'm just, I'm not going to rush out for all of their stuff. Um, But I enjoy the premise of it and definitely the mechanics of cooperative and storytelling. I I mean, the box art is definitely uh, both versions are actually very interesting that I think even if I didn't know who the Adventure Zone were or was, I think the box art itself is also kind of attention getting. And then if I was already into storytelling cooperative games, I feel like it would, again, kind of check all those boxes and I'd be like, oh, this sounds exciting. Let's figure out what it's about. So... Let's figure out what it's about, Eric. Yeah. How do you guys think it's played? I mean, I assume it'll 
This is always hard because I'm sure it'll be like, you know, a, a dungeon delvey type game of a, a munchkin variety, but I don't think it'll be exactly like that. Um, I think obviously there will be cards that reference things from uh, the podcast. I think that that's a given. So I don't know. Do you think we'll have like a mission? So we're going to get a mission, probably like an objective and a bad guy. And we've got to probably roll some dice to beat that bad guy. I don't don't know. I'm sounding like a generic kind of dungeon delve game. But what do you think? Yeah. Well, in the description you read, it says, get down there, grab the relic. And when you get back, we get right a free drink, I'm assuming. At the chug and squeeze. Right. At the chug and squeeze. Yep. It's It's the local pub on the moon base. Yeah, so there's going to be storytelling. So, I, I mean, what if it's like, what was that game where uh, you were given cards that then you had to tell a story? Galactic Scoundrels. Oh, I love that game. That one's not cooperative, though. No, but it, it could have been if we were sort of, uh, so we might do that where we draw cards and we have to, like, tell the story of, like, how we're, you know, doing the things and get, getting the relic and defeating the, the bad guys and, and drinking the beer. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know what the modular board is. Um, maybe it's like the order of card. Maybe it's like order of cards of like you. Maybe it's like challenges you have to do to get the relic. And so the modular board is just the order of challenges you have to do or something. Uh, not much to go on there. So I guess we'll see how it plays. All right. So the yeah. history of yeah, the adventure zone. History of the adventure zone. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I know that the adventure zone uh, is based loosely off of D&D. So the first arc was D&D, yep. Yeah, okay. Right, the Adventure Zone they play, and then now they're in, like, a different... So they're back to D&D? Okay, but for a while they were, they were doing, doing different Monster systems. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But so I just went D&D uh, because I feel like even all the other systems kind of spun off that. I feel like D&D was one of those first kind of adventure storytelling games, which actually morphed from uh, the Inventor's... Uh, tabletop wargaming yep. things. Kiwi knows this all by heart, but uh, they were part of the Napoleonic war things, which may, is that like the oldest tabletop miniature war game? No, it's just, okay. I think the Napoleonic wars are just a very popular mm-hmm. thing that people like to war game just mm-hmm. because of the, the way it looks on the board with all the colorful uniforms mm-hmm. and stuff. And the rules tend to be a little bit easier because all the troops are lined up in lines because mm-hmm. of the way they fought mm-hmm. during that, that era. So that's kind of what it spun from. Yeah. And then it went to a more medieval type theme. And then eventually um, down the road from that, and not very long, but because by 74, they had the first edition. And there's debate amongst people on how much it was influenced from some of the more popular um, fantasy novels at the time. Obviously, Tolkien was very big uh, in the period um, and obviously, there's a lot of um, right character types and races from the Tolkien world in um, D&D series in general. Um, and so that first company, though, I always find interesting because it was TSR. Yep. There's still a company now. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I know, because uh, I did live in Eugene for a while, so Wizards of the Coast, of course, picked it up yep. in the 90s, I think. And I guess the fourth edition was actually announced at one of the Gen Cons. Oh. Yeah. 
Because um, I know Gen Con and D&D have a strong correlation. Well, so Gen Con was the Geneva Lake Convention, which started out as like a big tabletop wargaming thing. Mm. I don't know if it was started by Gary Gygax, but he was definitely a big part of it. So like it's, it started out as a, a wargaming convention, mm-hmm. which is where D&D kind of stems from. Yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my history. And then obviously, um, I don't know, like, you know, what of the more kind of podcasts came out first doing the D&D, but definitely I'd say in the last five, six years, D&D has been making a very big comeback uh, amongst um and like kind of pop stars, if you will. I mean, definitely the McElroy brothers are, I would say, considered now like pop stars. I mean, they're one of the big ones. I mean, they they didn't start the Adventure Zone until they were a couple years into My Brother, My Brother and Me. Um, and it was just like a random thing where they just did it as like a I don't I don't know if it was a bonus episode, but it was just like they got together and they played the uh the the Lost Minds of Fandelver, mm. which we've mm-hmm. played through. Um, and then kind of spun it off from there. I'm excited. Tell us how we're actually going to play this. All right. Uh, so our goal as a team of reclaimers is to complete the mission by defeating two challenges, which come in the form of decks. One of those decks must be the relic deck. We are trying to retrieve the relic after all. Uh, and one of the other two which is the villain and the location. If, on the other hand, our team health reaches zero before that, we lose. So TPK. A TPK, if you will. Uh, The team leader has two important tasks. They resolve questions regarding the rules and they help facilitate the story. The rules very specifically say that they are not the game master as they don't own the story. They are a player and just helping to facilitate. The team leader will also go first and play proceeds clockwise. Uh, So based on all of that, I'm just going to go ahead and be Mm -hmm. the team leader. So on a player's turn, they will select one of the challenges visible on the game board. Next, they will determine their strength. This will come from their character and bonuses from fantasy Costco items, uh, where all your dreams come true. They will then tell the story of how their character overcomes the particular challenge. Some of the challenges may even grant bonuses for answering the question on the card. So, for example, there's a card titled uh, You've Got to Get Past a Gerblin Spy, which gives you plus one if you can describe the Gerblin's clever disguise. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can then ask for assistance. Usually only one player can assist, but some cards will say no assist and others will say double assist, in which case you can have two characters assist. Um, And then once the... Uh, other players can only help once per round. So like if it's BP's turn and both Eric and I help BP, Eric can't then help me on my turn. And everybody will get, everybody's got a token that has plus one or plus two on the sides uh, because you you will give a bonus based on if you help before the roll and if you help after the roll. And everybody's assist will reset once it becomes the team leader's turn again. Uh And then finally, the player will roll their Taz 20 dice, uh, which are 20-sided dice, but the max value is six. Uh, So one side is going to have an X, and that is a critical failure. Uh, One side will have the the Bureau of Balance icon, and that is a 20. And then in between, every three digits that you would normally have on a D20 will correspond to one of the sides on a D6. So you have an equal chance, basically, of getting a one, two, three, four, five, or six, and then a one in 20 chance of a critical fail and a critical success. 
Uh, if the total is greater than or equal to the challenge value, the challenge is completed. They gain the card, which has a loot value in the lower left. If the total is lower, they fail the challenge. The team takes a hit to their health, shown in the lower right of the card. Finally, if the player has a loot of three or more, they can turn it in and get items from the Fantasy Costco. There's no change at the Fantasy Costco. Fantasy Costco, where all your dreams come true. Got a deal for you. Uh, players can have two items from Fantasy Costco, and that's the maximum, uh, but they're allowed to give cards to other players in order to gain more cards. Uh, and if you have more than two, then you have to discard. Yes. At Fantasy Costco, do you get like the large, like humongous size of like Nutella that's the size of your head? No, but you can get the Flaming Raging Poisonous Sword of Doom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, players continue uh, around until two challenge techs are complete or the team health reaches zero. Uh, the rulebook does have some suggested combinations. So this, Eric, this is where it answers on your modular board. There's uh, four different villains, four different relics, and four different locations. And so you can combine them all into different variations. And in the rulebook, it does have like a, hey, if you want to have a very like chaotic game, combine these three. If you want to have a game that's quick, combine these three. If you want one that takes longer, combine these three. Um, so they have different combinations. It does suggest for the first, um, first game that we play with the staff, the lich, and the cave. Uh, that's the recommended one. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, so we're going to retrieve the staff from the lich's cave. And now it's time for the Adventure Zone. Let's play! What other twists await us in the Adventure Zone? Okay, I am Stefan the Warrior. Uh, I'm a warrior and a former high school sports star who peaked in high school. Uh, I am stronger against monsters because of my absolute belief in my ability to overcome anything uh, and generally assist my teammates using my athletic skill and strength. And then I drew a picture of what looks like an elf in like a high school um, letterman's jacket. Uh, BP Smurf, the rogue. I am a cat person. Uh, and I'm stronger against traps, mostly because of my dumb luck. Uh, I generally assist my teammates with my dumber luck because, again, always land on my feet. Uh, I was going to ask you if you were a cat person as, a, as in like the crazy cat lady. But as I look at your picture, no, you are a cat person. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> I got ears. Hello, my name is Dr. Jason. You're a priest and a secret medical school dropout. You're stronger against spooky threats, mostly because of your scientific knowledge that they don't exist. And you generally assist your teammates using your medical degree that I don't, you, have, that I don't actually tell, have. Because you you're a school. We have been sent from the moon base to search out within the labyrinth of double dealing duplicity, the Lich Lyseal, who may or may not be a Lich. He could be a gnome. She could be a gnome, we're not sure, uh, who has been uh, discovered wielding the Staff of Supreme Trickery. And we have to retrieve it. So that is our mission, Reclaimers. So it says, uh, we, we describe how the mission ends. So at that point, um, we're back into this kind of movie mindset. Uh, the screen goes black mm -hmm. immediately. 
Um, and it starts to sort of fade in a little bit and you can, you realize that it's, it's somebody like slowly blinking awake, mm. like they're regaining consciousness in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell by the way, the vision, that it's somebody that's like completely wrapped up mm-hmm. in, um, gauze. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and a doctor comes in and goes, ah, Stefan. Uh, and he says, I, I have some, some good news and some bad news. Uh, the good news is, is uh, you survived the blast. The bad news is, is your throwing arm was immediately in the path of the fireball. And unfortunately, you suffered severe burns to your throwing arm. And we had to amputate in order to save your life. And the scene slowly fades out with a, with a small tear rolling down Stefan's cheek as he realizes that it's truly over his football career. Well, I feel like this is then Stefan's story. And so like as he's kind of blinking awake, there's like this, he hears this purr next to him and like his his pet cat, so calico cat, just like starts licking at the tears as he's crying at the end of the movie. <laughs> and he really wants the cat to go away, but the cat's just like, nah, I'm right here. But Stefan also right can't move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. And the cat's just like, nah, I'm right here, bro. Yeah. Like, so uh, the cat's an asshole to the end to Stefan. After, by the way, and Stefan like looks over and notices that his fishbowl. Empty? Mm-hmm. Oh, Steven. <laughs> So deep in the uh, uh, labyrinth of double dealing duplicity, the the lich still uh, uh, sits upon their throne and uh, there's a skeleton just sweeping, sweeping the layer out. And it is uh, Dr. Jason. (laughs) And he goes, well, fit. That's a real (laughs) asshole. And that's when uh, slowly like a Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) The circle, the circle fades in. We just finished a game of the Adventure Zone to recap. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to recap? We lost. We lost. Uh, I mean, I, I guess we'll, we'll get into the, the details eventually, but uh, uh, Stefan lost his throwing arm. Uh, BP turned out to actually be a cat. And uh, <laughs> Dr. Jason uh, learned that the undead are, in fact, a thing. Name a board game where you can learn all those facts at the end. Strategy? <laughs> <laughs> to make the best story yeah, yeah i felt much. like yeah i felt like that's what we were doing I, I i think we did try and play to our character strengths but then when it like there were just challenges out that didn't play to that i think we did try and build the story or at least try to build the story from the cards that were available definitely at the end we yeah we probably could have strategized our helping a little bit more uh efficiently but we didn't so yeah, uh, I guess we'll just jump into the theme. Uh, what did you think of the theme, uh, Kiwi? Yeah, I mean, everything is pretty much either straight out of uh, the Adventure Zone or it's straight out of My Brother, My Brother and Me. Like, I don't remember a haunted doll from the Adventure no. Zone, but that's definitely my bim bam. And I, I feel like the quotes, like, you know, they weren't quotes from the podcast, but I feel like I could definitely like imagine one of them saying something along those lines. I, I feel like the theme was was definitely there. and. and and I, I think the cool part is, is 
like they definitely played it up like you are not three main characters from the adventure mm-hmm. zone but you feel like you're a part of that kind of like universe, World. just like the goofiness and fantasy Costco. Like I, I felt like the theme all came together. Now BP as a not big fan or active, I don't want to make it sound like you don't like it, but as somebody who doesn't listen right. to all the podcasts, uh, how did you, what did you think of the theme? Um, I mean, it definitely seems kind of D and D like whimsical quirky esque. So like you kind of still have that, a fireball, right? But like they've added flair to the fireball. Like, so I feel like at the core, what Adventure Zone is, is kind of that D&D, like it's got that, like at the core kind of characters, but then adds its own like quirkiness that really, I, I mean, came out and not even like, I feel like even if you didn't listen to the podcast you'd you'd feel like it was just like this quirky spin-off of role-playing D story-esque kind of universe so i think it captured all of that very well i think yeah obviously there's a lot of references and i got most of them i think so that's fun but i feel like even if you didn't that it doesn't like drive you to oh you're telling the story of the adventure zone you're telling your own story Mm -hmm. it's like you can still Mm -hmm. play with it and have fun and make up your own things it doesn't like oh you've got to tell it like this certain way it's so i think it has references which if you get them that's fun but if you don't i still think you would enjoy making up your own goofy uh it's very like comedian D &D style like um goofy fun um yeah i think it worked out really well what did you think of the table presence bp I, it, the cards are cool, um, especially the Costco with the K cards. Um, and the dice are pretty hefty, by the way. So I feel like it's got overall a great presence. Like the cards, like the um, three kind of adventure cards have a, a, a nice D&D-esque layout to them. But then your comedy kind of creepiness comes out in your Costco cards. The cards are great. Um, I did hand, though, I will just say one thing with the cards is that I did have to hand them all to Kiwi first to explain what they were saying to me, because I just feel like, I mean, eventually, like, I think if I'd actually put like thought into what they were trying to tell me, I could figure it out. But he's right here. So why not? have him explain what they were saying to me. <laughs> yeah, I think the good in like oh, I mean we were talking about art, but I think the good thing is is most of the icons that were on the cards are at the bottom of the player mm-hmm. sheets. The ones that aren't are the ones that you find on the surprises and the fantasy Costco cards, which was just the recurring symbol, which was you know the the circle arrows. So that's pretty self-explanatory. And then the discard was kind of like a trash can or a bin or something like that. So I felt like the icons themselves were were pretty simple and mm-hmm. everything was laid out really well. Um, I think for like table presence, like, you know, you could come upon this and I feel like you would get a decent idea about what you were supposed to do or like what was going on just by reading the cards. Cause like even the cards themselves, like, you know, the way we were telling the story, it was, we were looking at the card and we were telling a story based on the big text of that card. But if you read across from the villain to the relic, to the location, um, you know, you read it across, it says you're facing the lich while surviving a massive fireball while examining a pile of bones. Mm. So like 
every every three cards is going to give you a small story. So like you could tell more of that story as, as a different way to tell mm-hmm. the game. Uh, so that like the way it gives you prompts. Um, but yeah, all the art is uh, really fun. And, and I feel like they did a good job of on certain cards, like not using too much space. So like the cards are easy to read. The icons are very large and easy to figure out. The only places where they filled up the entire card were the three elements of the mission. And those are just cards that kind of sit above anyway. So, you know, that's where your big art comes from. Um, So, yeah, I thought the table presence was cool. And it doesn't really take up like some of the adventure games that we play. Mm -hmm. You know, Call to Adventure takes up a lot of space. Uh, Too Many Bones takes up a lot of space. Dungeons and Dragons, depending on like if you have a big player mm. mat, like that can take up a lot of space. So the nice part is, is this. It really doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't take up a whole lot of space. I think the only thing that takes up the, the story game that takes up less space would be Galactic Scoundrels. Yeah, I mean, obviously I couldn't quite see the whole table presence, but, you know, it looked nice from what I, I really. That board is so clean. It's like you've got a health meter, you've got a challenge meter, you've got three cards go like it's just. It just looks very smooth and clean, and I, I like that. Um, it's it's not a messy game. There's like even the board. There's like just a bunch of like art space and things. So I, I like that. It, it clean presentation. Like I think if you were walking by, like the art would jump out at you, and then just sort of like the layout would be, oh, what's this? And it's like I think it also like helps for the playing of the game in terms of like like you said, like it's kind of easy to figure out what's going on and what you're trying to accomplish. So. Yeah. And, and that challenge meter is, is really nice because like it specifically says in the rule book, like, hey, you have this challenge meter to track how much strength you have. And then in parentheses, it was like, because don't do math in your head. <laughs> and like, so they put it on the board specifically so that you didn't have to do additional math except uh, for the dice. Roll. I love that yeah. idea. And it's so it's such a simple thing to add, make it easier on the players. So I think more games should do that. Mechanics, Kiwi? Um, yeah, so I don't think there was anything crazy. I, I, I think the biggest thing in this game is is, is it just it sort of adds, um, it's the storytelling prompts, right? This is a storytelling game, so it gives you story prompts. And like, and like there, there's nothing crazy in terms of mechanics. Like, it's definitely a co-op game where you're trying to figure out, like, how are we going to help each other? And how is that going to get us through the turn? So I, I think there are definitely, like, the mecha- the way the mechanics are set up, you could definitely have like other co-op games, there really isn't a way to stop alpha gaming because you could have somebody mm. say like, oh, you have this Costco card, you know, you do, do this, this, and this, have BP help you, and then you only need to roll a two. Like you could definitely do that in this game and there's nothing really stopping you from it. So yeah. Except the, the other players. Well, yeah. yeah. That's, well, but that's I mean, always that's present. the way alpha gaming works. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's no mechanical way to stop that. Which is fair. And even I would say even in the storytelling piece, I guess some one person could be obnoxious and like tell people what they're all doing. So, yeah, there's not really much to defend against that. But it's also right. A lot of games don't. So I thought the 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 clever thing was like the challenge in a storytelling game is how do you get people to actually like tell the story instead of just playing the game, mm-hmm. um, which I think like in Call to Adventure could be a thing of if people just didn't care and they just played the game part but i think just having that very simple plus one if you can tell this as like they don't say come up with everything from scratch tell us a whole big story it's just like give us this one little detail which is like Mm -hmm. manageable and you get a plus one and like just doing that and then not all the cards 
have you do that. But like even the cards that didn't, we started, you know, giving the full details of what was going on. And I think like that little yeah. piece to like kickstart the storytelling was uh, clever. Yeah. The, the one thing I liked about this one with, with the cards is the Galactic Scoundrel. I, I think if I remember correctly, it just gave you like the title of the card mm-hmm. and that was it because it wanted to be very generic and it didn't want to give you a whole lot of stuff. What I did appreciate about the and and because of that, it might be hard to come up mm-hmm. with like how does this work? You do remember Paxton struggling a Paxton little struggled bit. Paxton struggled a little bit. I I think with the little blurbs that it had at the bottom of all of these, almost all the cards. Some of the cards had effects, and so that mm-hmm. kind of changed it. Uh, but even the ones that didn't give you like plus bonuses for telling portions of the story and asking questions, there was always like little bits of text that kind of like gave you additional prompts so you could tell the story beyond that, that you could use or not use. Kind of like the back of the the player cards gave you Mm -hmm. the, you know, you answer the three questions about your character, but if you weren't at a point where you could creatively come up with something, it gave you prompts. Mm -hmm. So it really didn't stop the game. And I, I feel like they thought of that to think of the players who, you know, you definitely have people who are very creative and you have people that are less creative but they wanted to make sure that they they bridged the gap between the two and you didn't leave one out over the other. All right. Uh, rules. Uh, learning the game. Um, I think pretty straightforward, right? It wasn't. Yeah, really. There was a low learning curve for sure. And again, it makes it that much more, I feel like, approachable. But yeah. what were your thoughts in teaching it? I feel like because the game is primarily about telling stories, it made it a little bit easier to teach because I think um, they did a good job of not putting a whole lot of like background additional stuff to help with the story. I feel like they definitely tried to push the story to the forefront, which made the mechanics a little bit easier. So it's easier to teach on the uh, and to add to that, um, when the game was being made, they did a lot of um streams where they were playing with they did one where they played with griffin they did one where we play with justin and so they were going through the rules and they were playing with the macaroys and like other people so i watched a couple of those so i kind of knew how the game worked uh and then obviously the over energetic becca scott uh also did a um a how to play that's linked from together studios website so that, I mean, there were a lot of, there's a lot of resources to see how the game is played, which made it definitely easier. I don't think I went maybe once or twice and it it was never to get clarification. It was always to um, just remind myself. Yeah. I mean, I think for a game that has a bunch of little cards that have different actions and things like it didn't really, I, I don't think I ever really had a question on how anything works. So yeah, yeah that's pretty impressive. Player interaction, uh, again, cooperative uh you can work together you tell the story together there's like we said no really mechanics to prevent somebody from trying to take over the game but um you know otherwise the interaction um i mean it's fun and you can bounce story idea like you know somebody would say oh this this is a thing and then you know come up with the story together and it's all just very collaborative so so my question for Eric, because you know BP were and I were here like physically adjusting cards and moving stuff around, and then Eric was following along with the stream and had his own fillable PDF. Um, the nice part that I thought about with Two Together Studios is they had a whole thing on like here's how you play this game mm-hmm. via Zoom, which is pretty awesome. Um, so from a player interaction point, not being able to right, physically manipulate room. the game, like how did you feel about that player interaction doing it at a distance? Uh, I mean, I think obviously this would be more fun in person. Um, if you're not super comfortable with online games in general, uh, probably 
I don't know how you'd feel about it. Um, but I mean, I'm pretty comfortable with it. And for me, like the fun of the game was making up the story. So mm-hmm. uh, I was fine with you do rolling the dice and doing all that stuff. Cause it was like, I just, that was the fun part to me. So I could still do that just as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was fine with it, but also we play a lot of online games. So um, probably more comfortable with it than most. Yeah. I just w- was curious about your opinion, mm-hmm. having you play afar and then the two of us here. Um, I was fine. I actually like this style of game maybe more than actually like more competitive games. Cause you can't see everything super well. Um, which is if you're playing out, if you want to get really competitive, you know, you might be, I have a disadvantage or I can't see what's going on. Whereas like this, I was like, I don't care. You manage all the admin yeah. stuff. I'll just, you know, come up with funny things to say. Even cooperative, I feel like cooperative games online are just mm-hmm. smoother. All right. Uh, would you play it again? Uh, BP. Absolutely. I'm glad actually that he bought it and I'm excited to actually see with the kid because I feel like he, he's now played many more storytelling games now that he's getting older. Um, I'm curious to see what elements he might bring to it. Yeah, and like he liked Galactic Scoundrels. Yeah. And he's been doing a lot of D&D. So yeah, I'm also curious to see like if he will enjoy this game too. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually four. So it's a five-player game, yes. But it's four players playing characters. And then the last player is Brad from HR. <laughs> There's more of a... That's, his, that's the specific title, Brad from HR. And they're more of a, uh, a facilitator. Okay, I think at that point, we would need someone with one of those like... Uh, sticker name tag. If we did it, I would get a sticker name tag that says, hello, my name yes. is Brad and yes. I'm with HR. <laughs> okay. yes. yeah. uh, I like that the game has a specific role just for Kiwi. That's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you guys? Yeah, yeah, I played again. This is, uh, that was one of my favorite playthroughs of almost anything, I think. So um, yeah, this is a good, good, good one. Uh, I hope, I really hope that People who don't know about the Adventure Zone, give it a shot because uh, I think it'd be really mm-hmm. fun still. Um, I hope it's not limited to just fans of the show, uh, but I could also see like uh, spinoffs of this game, too, with different varieties and not just um, Adventure Zone related stuff. But yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of variability because there's different villains, different relics, different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole idea of the relics kind of you know, there are very specific ways the missions will have to work, but there's no reason why there couldn't be expansions mm-hmm. or different realm. I don't want to say realms, but like different universes. I'm thinking that like Call to Adventure with like the, the yeah, Kingslayer. That's what I'm yeah. thinking too. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely play it again. I, I feel like I like it over Galactic Scoundrels. Well, and the Galactic only, Scoundrels the only isn't a great game part. It's a great storytelling part, but the game great, was... And, and that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, and I, I feel like this is one more of a game uh two i'm super into the theme because i love the adventure zone but uh two i feel like the the storytelling parts of this because it's cooperative like yeah we were building off of each other in galactic scoundrels Mm -hmm, but we were but it was kind of the you know the the corrupted wish where it's like oh i wish for this and someone says like yeah you get that but this happens that's what it felt like with galactic scoundrels which i'm not a big fan of i felt with this like i felt like we were really like we were really making a story with this and it felt really fun. So that is the adventures. Uh, I guess we should do the adventure zone. So if you have any recommendations of games you would like to hear our impressions on, just send them our way. 
Email is firstturntabletop at gmail. We can be found at Twitter and Instagram, First Turn Cast, and the podcasting camel. <laughs> yeah, if if any of the story comes out, he's walking through the lap. What is it? The labyrinth. The labyrinth of double dealing duplicity. Double dealing duplicity, and one of those like ice creature wavy mans comes up to him, and he's like. <gasps> Catchers, we look forward to hearing from you. And he storms off and he says, Play more games! Like if this was a movie, it would it would zoom in on Stefan's face and you would see the reflection of the fireballs in his eyes. <laughs> Um, in, in his sunglasses, because you, you know he's wearing sunglasses in this cave. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, um, and it it pan it pans out just enough that you can see the rest they're of. They're aviators, of course. They're aviators. It pans out just enough to see his face, and you hear him silently say, "I've waited my whole life for this." And he turns around and he goes, "Everybody, get down!" <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>